Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with jazz trumpeter, composer, and educator June Ida. We caught up with him about his debut release, the 2024 CD Evergreen. He has established himself as a highly sought-after musician, performing extensively throughout the U.S. at notable jazz clubs, theaters, and festivals with his sextet and as a sideman. Originally from St. Louis, Missouri, he has lived in Seattle, Pittsburgh, Cleveland, New York City, and Los Angeles. We cover a great deal in this interview. Enjoy. Nice to meet you, man. Yeah, great to meet you. Yeah, thank you for uh, for setting this up. Yeah, I love the album. I'm. I, how do you pronounce your name properly? Yeah, it's uh, June and then last name Ida. Okay, I just wanted to make sure. I never want to assume with my line of work, you know? Yeah, I appreciate it. No, it's always <laughs> it's, it's easier than it looks, is what I tell people. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, hey, man, it's great to meet you. I'm looking forward to delving into the brand new album and kind of your world of music. But before we get to that point... How did you survive COVID? How did you get through the pandemic? And how has it subsequently changed you now that everything's waking up? You got a new album out. How's everything going? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I was in Los Angeles at the time of the pandemic uh, when it happened. And then all through, you know, 2020. Um, uh, yeah, in terms of the music work, obviously, you know, the live performance kind of shut down, you know, almost overnight. So um, that was a, a non-starter for a good year, year and a half or so. Um, there was a little bit of recording work that, um, you know, you might know other musicians, Joe, that, um, remote recording, right. Yeah. was, was kind of a big trend. Um, so yeah, I definitely had a little bit of work coming through that, which, which helped, you know, sustain a little bit of the music side. Um, you know, at the time I still had a, uh, a separate non music job. Um, so that, you know, financially, obviously that helped kind of sustain me throughout that, that whole year period. But, um, yeah, that was, uh, uh, in terms of kind of creativity and, and writing wise um that was actually a pretty important period for me um just because you know with with all the other distractions gone away and uh not really being able to do anything else um yeah. it was actually kind of the first time in a while that i had where i had uh i just had all this this, this time you know um outside of the regular day job and i had all these hours throughout the day whether it was to practice or to write uh, to transcribe things you know to learn tunes that i've been meaning to learn and so uh yeah, I hate to say, uh, I guess a big silver lining for me coming out of uh, 2020 was, um, yeah, really being able to kind of refocus. Um, a lot of the music that's on the album was written um, or or finished in that period. Yeah. And so um, definitely was able to kind of zone in and, and focus on kind of really what I wanted to do. Um, and then uh, this is a little bit tangential, but uh, I guess fall of 2020, um, that's when I ended up making the move to Seattle from Los Angeles. Um, and that was also related to the day job that I had at the time. Yeah. And so, um, you know, in hindsight, it was a pretty uh, pivotal move in terms of music career. Yeah. Um, just because of the move to Seattle is what allowed me to, you know, start pursuing music full time and, um, you know, have a lot of these new opportunities that I've had in the past couple of years. Um, but uh, yeah, at the time, it was uh, definitely a lot of doubt, a lot of uh, uncertainty in terms of uh, kind of how I would be able to continue music going forward um, yeah. just because I was already, um, you know, I hate to say doing it part-time, but uh, not necessarily doing it full-time, you know, prior to the pandemic. Um, but uh, yeah, one, one big thing was it also allowed me to kind of think about what I really want to be doing. You know, yeah. I think all of us had that experience in, in 2020 where uh, we were forced to kind of look ourselves in the mirror and say, um, Hey, you know, this is uh, uh life is finite and you know we really have to focus on the things that we care about and what we want to be doing and so yeah in a weird way i think that helped give me a little extra push in the back to say 
um, you know, this day job has been comfortable and it's nice having a steady income. But um, when I'm being honest with myself, what I really want to be doing is is the music part. And so, um, yeah, I think through all the, the challenges, a couple pretty important silver linings for myself. What a great backstory. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it was fueled by going through that self-reflection. And I'm curious, you know, anytime an album comes out, it's a huge statement artistically and otherwise on your imprint, not only in the world of jazz, but in recorded music. So what are you ultimately hoping the listener gets from this album? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, for me, uh, yeah, actually, I mean, you, you framed it really well, Joe, that, you know, being the first album that I'm putting out and also, um, really the first time even my close friends and family are hearing a lot of my original music. Um, it was just an opportunity to kind of share what, what I've been doing musically, you know, over the past uh, decade or so. Um, just cause in, you know, uh, in Los Angeles, I was more or less, uh, you know, working, but not really doing anything um, creatively or, or, you know, pushing kind of my creative project out. Um, so uh, yeah, I think it's just an opportunity to share who I am as a person, you know, And doing that via this this vehicle of music um uh yeah i guess one one layer further uh i think you you probably heard joe the album kind of spans a very large range of of styles if you will you know Yeah. everything kind of straight ahead hard bop post bop to kind of the hip-hop backbeat tune to more modern jazz leaning things um and that's you know i i try to be as true to myself as i could in that sense as well um You know, obviously, I grew up loving, you know, what we call jazz or or
because um, in order to participate in it, we have to understand the history and, and uh, you know, be able to respect where the music came from, um, the history of, of what caused this music to be created in the first place. But on the other hand, like you said, you know, we don't want to get stuck necessarily, um, or we don't want it to be in past tense, right? Yeah. Um, we want to continue to keep pushing the music forward and also celebrate it as a global art form in, in today's day and age. And I think that's what Miles was going after. I think he, I mean, obviously Miles had a, a massive vision that transcended a lot of probably what we even understand, but that was kind of what he was doing. He was harnessing the power. I mean, even someone like John Lennon, who, you know, when people think about the Beatles, you know, they think about the early years and the later years, he, he kind of invented feedback and invented all of these little things. And if he would have been alive, he would have done some things that, um, his son, Sean Lennon's been doing, which his music's amazing, you know? So it's, I, I think it's the spirit of the musician that just keeps that. They, 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 they keep an eye on what's in the rearview mirror, but they're also looking into the future, which is kind of what I tried to do with neon jazz. I don't want everybody to get pigeonholed into the fifties. It was a wondrous era of jazz, but there's a lot of cats right now that are making music that is totally fresh and new. And we have to celebrate the entire idiom as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, the, this jazz music in and of itself can be very esoteric, right? And, and very uh, um, kind of exclusive in certain ways if you're not familiar with the music. And, um, you know, people wonder why jazz isn't popular or why people don't really lean towards jazz. But, you know, if you're not a musician, if you hear somebody soloing on giant steps for, for eight minutes, right. That's probably not going to do much for you. Yeah. Um, and a lot of my favorite musicians, uh, you know, folks like Roy Hargrove and, and Donald Byrd and Miles Davis, you know, they always talked about, um, how as musicians, we can get so deep into this music because it is a complex art form because there is so much history and so many influences that we have to understand that go into the music. But at the end of the day, we also have to make, um, we also have to bring the music to the people. Right. And make it accessible to the audiences um, for whom we have made this music. Yeah. And so, you know, we can make the most complicated. Uh, I, I guess this is a little bit contradictory because I know I don't have some mixed meter stuff in the album, but, you know, we can make the most complicated, intricate, you know, uh, most complicated, you know, jazz theory based tunes out there. But if that doesn't do anything for the general audience, then, you know, we're just making music for ourselves amongst musicians and and that only takes the music so far and so that's one thing that i always respected and appreciated and um quite frankly just enjoyed you know listening to roy's albums or miles's albums where um you know roy, roy would throw like a, a a sam cook tune in there in the album right or he would yeah. um make these melodies that even to the general audience is is hummable and relatable and not mm -hmm. too complicated um that's something, you know, I think directly and indirectly, I kind of kept in mind throughout the album as well, where, um, yeah, obviously we don't want to limit ourselves creative, uh, creatively. Um, but also I think there's something intrinsic about a message that is easily, easily digestible, you know, no matter what your, uh, level of musical understanding is. Absolutely. So we're relatively neighbors based on where you were from. I'm in Kansas city. You're from St. Louis. Yeah. So Talk to me a little bit about the beginnings of this journey into the music and more specifically jazz, maybe influences. How did all this start for you? Yeah, totally. Um, so I can start, uh, you know, my parents are both from Japan. Um, they got married over there and then uh, my father was in the steel industry. And so that kind of explains the the nomading around the Rust Belt over here in the States. But 
Um, basically, got married, subsequently moved uh, to St. Louis immediately, um, where my my siblings and I were born. And so, uh, yeah, from an early age, you know, my my mother was a big music appreciator um, and a you know a musician back in Japan as well. And so, uh, I think ever since we were babies, probably before I can even remember, you know, she would always have classical music playing in the house. Um, so that uh, I've got to imagine, you know. Uh, planted some level of kind of appreciation of music in, in my head and then um yeah you can probably relate to this show growing up in, in uh missouri or, or the midwest but st louis specifically you know just has such a rich history of of music there yeah. um you know obviously with jazz but also you know things like r&b uh, rock and roll and so uh yeah i remember you know i think at the time i probably wasn't aware or um cognizant of what exactly i was listening to but um just by kind of osmosis of being in a space like that, right? Whether you're driving around downtown or going to uh, uh, Redbird games, you know, in the summertime, um, you naturally hear a lot of this blues influence and rock and roll influence uh, or bands playing at bars. Um, yeah, one memory, that, you know, kind of a classic example of not really knowing what you were listening to at the time. Um, I remember Chuck Berry used to play, I think it was like a monthly residency at this bar restaurant um, down in the Loop. And so, uh, yeah, I remember we got to see him growing up uh, a couple times. And, uh, yeah, I think at the time it was like, man, this this guy sounds great. This is cool music. Uh, yeah. And in hindsight, it's like, oh, man, that was Chuck Berry we were listening to. Yeah. Uh, there, was a, there was a guy in Kansas City. Uh, his name is E.E. E. Pointer. He's a wonderfully innovative, talented musician. And he's in an uh, outfit called the River Cow Orchestra. And one of the first times I interviewed him, when he was a kid, he ran into Chuck Berry getting ice cream for him and his girlfriend. He had like this crazy like convertible Cadillac and was just like blown away by how cool he was. And just just the idea that you humanize someone like Chuck Berry going to get an ice cream for his girl. It's like there's something romantic about that. The whole notion. It's so Norman Rockwell, you know? Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. it's cool. Yeah. You know, I think about. Like even in Kansas City, there's so many jazz ghosts. Like when you get down to 18 and Vine, it's just thick. You just feel things in a different way. And even in St. Louis, you know, I know that I went out there back in 2015. and was really wanting some jazz and it was really thin. It was in the wintertime, late fall, and there was a lot of blues. And I remember that was kind of predominant at the time. But um, yeah, two huge towns that were dependent on railroads and people hopping on and off and really doing it up you know so there's rich histories in both towns for sure yeah um, absolutely what was the first like the seminal first live jazz show that you ever saw that blew you away oh man uh that is a great question uh first jazz show that i saw um to be honest it was probably a little bit later in life um you know just because uh i've definitely had a little bit of a indirect route you know to pursuing this career in jazz and so i know a, a lot of friends who you know were, were listening to all these albums growing up in middle school and seeing all these live shows throughout high school um i wasn't uh i wasn't quite that hip to be honest growing up you know i i uh i was more of a classical cat all through high school and uh you know i had an appreciation for jazz but i wasn't necessarily going out seeking different concerts in st louis and pittsburgh and so uh yeah man that's a great question um so I did middle school, high school in Pittsburgh. Um, and at the time, uh, Sean Jones was in the area a lot. And uh, I remember he was probably the first trumpet player I got to see in person. 
where it was like, man, this is, this is incredible. You know, this is next level stuff. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. That's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So let me, so let me ask you this, you know, you obviously had an epiphany over the pandemic and, you know, you realize that being a musician is, is where you want to be. But what is it that you look forward to the most every day about being a professional musician? What do you what what drives you? Yeah, um, you know, I, I think this might be the case with many different art forms, but I think specific to jazz and, and the music that we play, um, there's no uh, there's no reaching the the top of the mountain, right? You're you're continuously trying to climb and climb and climb, and, and you might get closer and closer, but um, at least for me, you know, it, it feels like the the more I dig into this art form, you know, the more I realize I don't know, the more I realize I need to practice, uh, more tunes I need to learn, um, and whatnot. So, um, yeah, honestly, it's it's uh, it feels good to be excited to practice every day, to feel like I'm not, uh, there's so much more I need to be doing. Um, if anything, just because I did take that kind of unconventional path to where I am right now. Um, I look at some other friends that... Uh, it's certainly not with envy, but you know, I see folks who uh, were shedding this music from like middle school and, and high school. Um, you know, I spent some time in Seattle. They have some phenomenal high school programs that are, um, you know, they're always at the uh, essentially Ellington competitions every year. Huh. Um, and I've worked with some of those high schoolers where it's like, man, I, I couldn't even play like that coming out of college, to be honest, you know? So um, yeah, especially because I have a little bit of a late start um, for me, it's, it's, it's nice having a little bit of that chip on the shoulder just because that's always going to be motivation for me to try to catch up with, um, if not peers, you know, folks that are ahead of me, folks that I look up to, um, you know, to try to get on their level. Um, yeah, that's, that's definitely enough motivation, at least right now to, to kind of kick me in the butt. Yeah. So if you could get into a time machine and go back in time and see any jazz musician in the history of the craft, where are you going? Who would you love to see live? Oh man, uh, that's a great question. Uh, there, there's definitely, there's definitely many. Uh, maybe going all the way back, um, you know, somebody like a, a Buddy Bolton, um, or uh, obviously Louis Armstrong, you know, but just in the sense that uh, I think they were the original, uh, you know, maybe like a Miles Davis in, in our day and age or a generation before us in the sense that, um, you know, they were living in this pivotal moment where they took all these different influences and kind of created this new, new thing. Right. Um, you know, somebody like a buddy Bolton had all these different, um, influences from, from marching bands, you know, military bands to ragtime, to church music, to, uh, spirituals, um, and kind of brought that all together into this new art form. And so, um, I think miles in a way did that in a more, modern context um to be alive to have experienced that in lifetime i think that would have been a, a phenomenal experience um and then purely just from some of my favorite musicians um you know i got a chance to see roy a, a couple times towards the end of his career but um just to be able to see him more that that would have been amazing um bill evans was kind of one of my first gateways into this music so uh to be able to see him and kind of how he changed the form of the trio live in person uh, that's definitely up there too yeah so everyone out there has a perception of you family friends fans but you run the show what's your perception of you who do you think you are oh 
Yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think on a surface level, I've always had kind of this duality, right, where I have the music portion of, of my life, and then I have the non-music or the day job portion. And um, for all intents and purposes, I've kind of kept those two separate, um, everything from, you know, the accomplishments that I've made in each field to even some of the friend groups that I have in, in both sides. And so, um, yeah, honestly, the most exciting thing was just to be able to share this other side of me with, uh, you know, the folks who weren't familiar thus far. Yeah. Um, and that includes even like family and, and close friends that I grew up with. Um, you know, like my parents being in Pittsburgh and myself being out on the West coast for the past, gosh, almost decade or so, um, they really haven't had a chance to hear me play or hear my music, um, yeah. since maybe like college. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, that was, that was one of the most exciting parts was just to be able to say, Hey guys, this is kind of what, what I've been doing, what I'm about. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, from a musical standpoint, um, I think, I think the album speaks pretty true in the sense of, um, I love this music. I love this art form. Um, and I love studying it. I love studying the history and understanding, um, you know, where the music comes from, um, the good and the bad, obviously. Right. You know, you can't really talk about, um, jazz history without talking about American history, without talking about black American history. And so understanding all of that context, uh, I love that portion of it. Yeah. But also being able to take that and kind of make it into my, my own, uh, taking all the different influences that I've had, um, you know, uh, listening to, uh, like the Commodores or earth, wind and fire growing up. And, um, a lot of the, the J-pop, the Japanese pop music and those influences that I've had growing up and um, yeah, trying to create something unique, I guess, that isn't a replication of anything else or an imitation and um, also hopefully not uh, inaccessible or, or uh, esoteric, but just trying to be as honest as, as I can with my music. Right on. So the new album Evergreen is out it's your debut. Where's the best place for people to pick up a copy or see you live? Anything about your world? Where can they go? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so album will be available on Bandcamp on uh, originarts.com, um, all streaming platforms. And then uh, we'll have a, uh, a West Coast tour, uh, March, April timeframe of this year. And then uh, other shows spotted out um, New York City. Uh, we'll most likely be doing a Midwest tour through a uh, somewhere through the, the Pennsylvania to Missouri corridor. Cool. Um, but yeah, yeah. Plenty of shows to be coming uh, this year. Okay. Right on. This has been great, man. Thank you so much. It's great. The, I, I'm so glad that we ran into each other. The album's wonderful. It's your debut. So good luck with everything. Have a great 2024. Yeah. Thanks, Joe. It's a pleasure talking to you. Appreciate Absolutely. It. You bet. Right. And before you go, I'd love to keep you in front of my audience. Would you mind doing a quick plug for my show? Oh yeah, Absolutely. Um, just introduce yourself, your instrument. You can mention the album, and the name of the show is Neon Jazz with Joe Domino. Neon Jazz with Joe Domino. Yes, sir. Gotcha. Cool. All right, that's good. Hey, everybody. My name is June Ida. Uh, I'm a trumpeter, uh, composer, artist uh, based out of Brooklyn, New York. Uh, my album Evergreen will be available worldwide on all streaming platforms January 19th. Uh, and thanks again to Joe uh, at Neon Jazz for having me here. Dude, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Best of luck with everything. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Joe. 
Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players and minds in St. Louis, Kansas City, and spots all over the world, giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to June for his time, energy, and story. If you want to hear more Neon Jazz interviews, you can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to us at YouTube, and for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.